the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed it is, and a good morning to you. Thank you for being here. It's ten minutes after the hour of nine o'clock, and we are ready for a free for all Friday. <laughs> yes, indeed. Except that it's not free for all very much. We got a lot of guests. <laughs> it's called free for all Friday, and we do try to clear the decks and make some room for phone calls, but. When we have newsmakers to get on the radio, we bring newsmakers on the radio. So that's the way that it goes today. We've got a lot of important people to talk about. Coming up in about a half an hour, we're going to end it, by the way, is the 21st morning of the fourth month, year of our Lord, 2023. I always like to make sure to get that in. Jim Jordan at 935. Congressman Jordan has been busy, to say the very, very least. He couldn't come on with us this past Monday because he was busy in Manhattan holding field hearings um, on the crime rate in Manhattan, in uh, New York City overall, um, because of the lack of energy and resources put into fighting crime by the local district attorney there, Alvin Bragg. 
Because Alvin Bragg is spending too much of his time and resources trying to prosecute Donald Trump for his political persecution plan. That's exactly what he said he was going to do when he ran for DA. That's exactly what he is doing right now, and Jim Jordan set out to prove it. So he's been very busy on that and a number of other things. We're going to talk to him about the debt ceiling offer proposed by Speaker Kevin McCarthy. We talked about that some yesterday uh, and a whole lot more. So Jim Jordan at 935. Coming up at 1035, an hour after, so we will have that period of time between around 10 o'clock and 1030 for your open line calls. You're free for all Friday calls. But we're going to talk with uh, Jeremiah Sawyer. Jeremiah Sawyer is going to be one of the presenters. He's uh, uh, at the um, uh, Taking America's Children's uh, Taking America's Children Back Ohio Summit on April 30th uh, out in Hudson, the one by PJTN we've been telling you about. Steve is the founder of the nonprofit Ohio School Board Constitutional Coalition. It's a grassroots movement um, that is aimed, obviously, at putting parents first and allowing parents to have a say in their uh, in their children's education rather than their indoctrination. So it's an academics-first educational agenda. He's going to be one of the presenters at the event on uh, April 30th, so we're looking forward to that chat at 1035. And then what else do we have going on? Um, I know we've got one more guest at 1110. Um, I'll figure it out. I, I I don't have all of my notes in front of me at the moment, so my apologies. But we'll get somebody on at ten o'clock, or uh, excuse me, at eleven ten. That I know that we that we do have planned. Uh, we were going to talk, and I want to offer this one up because the reason I'm thrown off a little bit here is we were planning on having Steve Dace from the Blaze TV. Uh, he's an author and he is a filmmaker now who uh, who wrote a book. Um, um, a few years ago that he has now uh, turned into a movie called Nefarious. It is a really interesting film insofar as that it's a horror film that deals with demonic possession and, you know, but it's not like Stephen King horror or even M night Shyamalan type horror, any of those kinds of things. It's a horror film with a message and it's got an actual Christian message about the realities of evil and and uh, and and demons and so forth. And Steve Dace was going to come on to talk about that today, but I have just been informed, literally before we came on the air, that he is endure uh, uh, he is uh, right now undergoing a, a bit of a medical condition, a medical emergency of sorts. I don't have any specifics. I wouldn't share them if I did. I simply want to ask you to say a little prayer for the well-being of Steve Dace, uh, and maybe for some. Prayers for some strength for his family uh, that must be going through something very, very difficult right now as well. I don't know the severity. Like I said, I don't know the details. I wouldn't violate his privacy by telling details if I did have them. Just know that he is in need of your prayers right now. By the way, as long as I'm doing that and as long as you are going to say a prayer, um, I will ask you once again for prayers for my good friend Patrick Wood, who is the... uh, founder and executive director of Citizens for Free Speech that I tell you about all the time at citizensforfreespeech.org. Patrick uh, suffered a cardiac condition about two weeks ago now. He uh, underwent surgery, and again, I'll stop there without uh, wanting to violate anybody's privacy, but I do I do want you to know that he is recovering and is in a very good position right now as he is home and recovering. But, of course, prayers for further recovery for um uh, for, uh, you know, no, uh, uh, complications, uh, to get in the way of that so that he can get back to the business of helping 
people fight for themselves and defend their First Amendment rights, which is what Citizens for Free Speech does. So Patrick Wood, I brought him up yesterday when I was talking to one of my guests because of his latest book on transhumanism and uh, technocracy, The Evil Twins. It's called The Evil Twins of uh, t- transhumanism, transhumanism and Technocracy. It's a great book, and you should look that one up, and you should uh, read it. It's it's very pertinent, particularly with all of the AI threats that we are undergoing right now, we're talking about right now, uh, and the... Uh, uh, AI is so dangerous for for obvious reasons in and of itself. In and of itself, it is very, very dangerous because people are going to rely on it to do things that they should do themselves. They're going to rely on it. And remember, any computer can be programmed to say or spit back anything. But when you're talking about artificial intelligence that does more than just spit back what it's been fed, but when it is taught and trained to go beyond that and to decide and think for itself what it wants to do, now it's a dangerous world, and, and, and the marriage of artificial intelligence and technology to the human body is transhumanism, and that's what so many of these mad scientists are worried about doing and cooking up in their labs. Patrick is one of the loudest and most authoritative voices about that and against that, I think, working in America today, maybe even in the world. So read that while he's convalescing and getting better, and then, of course, we're going to have him back on the radio as soon as he is up and able to do that. Okay, so there you have it. We've got some great guests coming up today. We do have uh, opportunities for you to talk to at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Let's take a time now, or take the time now to uh, stand up, face your flag, put your hand on your heart, and join us for this Pledge of Allegiance as we start each and every program. If you are a believer in liberty, if you are a believer in the First Amendment, you will do this. If you believe in indoctrinating children rather than educating children and letting them believe crazy radical things like boys and men getting pregnant well then you don't have any earthly idea what this country represents or what that flag represents about this country and about humanity so therefore you don't have to fake it if you don't want to if you don't want to stand and pledge your allegiance feel free to take a knee like that unemployed quarterback over there as for the rest of us i pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands one nation under God indivisible with liberty and justice for all all right so if you're wondering what I'm referring to there I I, I just have to do this um, I I don't like subjecting you to the voice of KJPDH you know that I tell you that all the time. I don't mean to uh, you know, ruin your morning by making you hear from the diversity hire. Uh, did I mention that KJPDH, uh, that's Corrine Jean-Pierre, diversity hire. Uh, did I mention she's black and gay? Make sure you know that. Note that. She's black and she's gay. They want you to know that every time she speaks. They told you that was the first qualification she had for the job when they hired her. She's black and she's gay. At any rate, she's also stupid and she's a liar. And she spends most of her day telling lies to an assembled press, 99% of which does not question those lies, 1% or 2% which does, uh, and then it gets to be something ugly. Well, yesterday at her press uh, um, briefing with the assembled media, the White House media pool, she started by lying about Florida and lying about what Governor Ron DeSantis did. I told you yesterday what Florida did. Florida has expanded their law that stops the sexualization of children, that stops the sexual uh, indoctrination 
of children with ideology. And remember, gender ideology is different than gender identity. Gender ideology is a political movement based on uh, gender, and it, re- it relies upon teaching young kids that their gender is malleable, that they can just change it on a whim. They can go from being boy to girl and girl to boy, which, of course, is absolutely not factual. Well, Florida expanded that from K through 3 to K through 12. At no level of teaching or of education in Florida, signed by Governor Ron DeSantis now, at no level of the educational process should teachers be teaching children about sex, sexual identity, or gender ideology. It should not be done. It's not part of the curricula. It should not be a part of the curricula. If they want to make it part of the curricula for a health unit, In a health class, it can be done on an optional basis. Students may be able to opt out of it, or parents can opt their students out of it. It's a very, very common sense bill that says, you know what we do in in, in our classrooms? We teach kids how to read, how to write, how to study history, how to do mathematics. We teach them uh, sciences. We do not talk to them about personal, well, you know what? We could even call them personality disorders. Because that is not our place, it's not our purview. It's no teacher's job to do that. So the left likes to call that the don't say gay bill. Now it's been expanded as the don't say gayer bill, apparently. But uh, this is what Karine Jean-Pierre, black and gay press secretary for President Biden, yeah, this is what she opened up her press briefing with yesterday. I also want to say a word about the decision yesterday made by the Florida Board of Education to expand the state's dystopian don't say gay law. As this measure takes effect, it will prohibit all students up to seniors in high school from learning about or learning about or discussing LGBTQI plus people in the classrooms. Teachers in Florida have already faced the devastating consequences of the existing law. Under threat of having their licenses revoked, gay teachers have been forced to take down pictures of their spouses from their desks. She is, in addition to being extraordinarily daft, and I mean seriously stupid, she's a stampede of stupid. In addition to that, she is also equal parts dishonest. She's a liar. So she's dumb and she's dishonest. She's hit the daily double. That is absolutely provably false. No teachers have been forced or asked or anything else to take down pictures of their spouses, same sex or otherwise, from their desks. They're making these things up to try to drum up anger and rage at uh, Governor DeSantis and the Florida Board of Education so that they can continue their agenda. But let's listen more to the uh, KJPDH here. We face the devastating consequences of the existing law. Under threat of having their licenses revoked, gay teachers have been forced to take down pictures of their spouses from their desks and censor their classroom materials. Censoring our classes is not how public education is supposed to work. Sure it is. Sure it is. Moron. Sure it is. And yes, that's juvenile. To, to, to name call like this, I kind of don't care when we're talking about people like this. Um, but sure it is. Censoring materials in classrooms has been done since the beginning of education. Inappropriate materials are censored. Pornographic materials are censored. And so much of what they want to pour into classrooms, particularly into young students' classrooms, is pornography. 
Books like Gender Queer that include graphic depictions in word and in images of sex acts, almost exclusively gay sex acts, those are censored. Those should be censored. Why are you acting like that's not the norm? That is the norm. Pornography doesn't work in in kids' classrooms. In a free country, conservative politicians love to complain about the so-called cancel culture, all while threatening teachers with losing their jobs. If they not true. They're not threatening them with losing their jobs. They're telling them these are the, the standards that are expected to be met in classrooms, as they have always been done. And guess what standards have been in place in math classrooms, for example, since, again, the beginning of education? The standards that say you teach addition, subtraction, multiplication, division, advancing algebraic equations. A little further than that as they get older, maybe even pre-calc, maybe even calculus. Not teaching kids that they should try to change their genders. Here, scan my QR code on my badge and learn about how you can go from being a boy to a girl. That's not new. That's not new. That stuff not happening has been the norm forever. They teach something that the MAGA extremists don't agree with. President Biden believes teachers and students should not be pawns in a political game or a political stunt. President Biden believes whatever his ignorant handlers tell him to believe. The only thing he is thinking about as you speak about this right now is chocolate chip ice cream. We will continue to fight for students across the country. No, you don't. If you were fighting for students across the country, you would tell those students across the country they don't have to be subjected to all of this indoctrination from teachers and from counselors and from social media influencers to the point where it is made part of their daily experience in classes, in school. If you cared about educating students, you would tell the teachers the way Florida has done to educate the students, and that's it. And if they want to have conversations about changing their genders, they can have them at home or somewhere outside of school property because that is not the job of teachers. To receive a world-class education, including free from discrimination and also censorship. You are the ones who do the discrimination. You are the ones who do the censoring of the realities of biology. I've got so much more on this, including a fifth-grade teacher who has just... He's reaping the left-wing whirlwind because he went on live television on Dr. Phil, an episode that aired yesterday, and said the truth that boys can't menstruate and that boys will never be girls and girls will never be boys. And no matter how much outrage you want to generate, no matter how much hand-wringing you want to do, that biology is not malleable. It is not something that can just be switched around from one to another. It is simply not a reality. We're going to talk more about that after we talk to Jim Jordan. He is coming up next after the news on AM 1420 The Answer. Enlightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always Right Radio with Bob Prance on The Answer. Okay, 936, good morning. Thanks for being with us on this Friday. It's rare that we hear the voice of Congressman Jim Jordan, the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, on a Friday, but we've got him today. He was busy on Monday. He was busy taking the uh, 
the uh, hearings to the field, field hearings in Manhattan to expose uh, the uh, non-seriousness of uh, District Attorney Alvin Bragg when it comes to protecting New Yorkers from real crime because he's dedicated all of his resources and time to a political persecution of Donald Trump. Congressman Jordan is back in D.C. now, at least I'm assuming. Congressman, good morning. How are you, sir? I'm fine, Bob. Good to be with you. What'd you learn in the field hearings, Congressman? Uh, that we had some powerful witnesses who told how when you have soft on crime policies, bad things happen, and they happen to their families. We had uh, Madeline Brame, which is an amazing, amazing lady, talking about what happened to her son. Uh, and then the sweetheart deal Alvin Bragg gave to a couple of the people who were responsible for taking her son's life. We heard from the father of, a, of the Jewish father whose son was attacked simply for being Jewish. Um, this anti-Semitic, uh, this terrible, he gets attacked and beat up, and all this happened to him. It was just a powerful hearing. And, it, and as you point out, Bob, it showed that, you know, when you have these kind of DAs who don't put bad guys in, in, in a way, bad things happen. And instead, in the case of Alvin Bragg, you have him focusing on politics mm-hmm. and in particular going after a former president for no crime, indicting a former president for no crime, uh, using federal tax dollars to do it. And then when we want to talk to one of his assistants who no longer works there, who hasn't been there for a year, he takes us to court. Um, so. Um, all that, I think, was part of what was, was going on on, on Monday at the, at the big hearing. Congressman, see if you can give us an update on that, because earlier this week I saw that the judge did uh, rule in your favor, uh, saying that the former prosecutor, Pomerantz, did have to testify before a House Judiciary uh, Committee This uh, in response to Bragg's lawsuit. But then I just saw this one saying uh, an appeals court has halted that decision. Can you tell us where it stands? Well, the court's decision uh, was as strong as it could be. They said Mr. Palmer needs to testify. I mean, he said, you know, no one is above the law, that, uh, you know, his his throw everything at the wall approach to, to certain privileges uh, uh, was lacking. I mean, it was a strong – you could not have written a stronger opinion. So we appreciate what the court said and that we were able to win on on, on that first round. It was stayed for uh, – while, while that, that is supposed to be – that hearing in front of the Second Circuit is supposed to take place on Tuesday – and then, of course, there will be negotiations between uh, their lawyers and our lawyers, and, and we'll see. But we expect Mr. Pomerantz to sit for a deposition, and we hope that that is going to happen real soon. What do you hope to learn from Mark Pomerantz? Well, we want to know. Um, we want to know how just how everything seems political here. His book. When you look at certain things he said in his book, it sure seems like it was just a this political vendetta that the left has had for President Trump since the get-go, since he came down the escalator. We want to ask him about that. We want to focus on the book. We're not allowed to get into grand jury material, which we understand. But, uh, you know, this guy went out and talked on 60 Minutes. Uh, he is, he has said that he, he would have, he, he said, his wife asked him what, when he went to work for the DA's office, his wife asked what, what he was getting paid. He said, um, you know, they, they didn't have to pay him a thing because he wants to go work for free to go after President Trump. That was, in essence, his, his mindset. So we want to explore that. And then, frankly, um, I, I do think, and this is part of some of the other correspondence we've sent to Mr. Colangelo, um, we want to know uh, if there were if there was any type of coordination between the Biden Justice Department, the Biden uh, administration, and what was going on up there at the at the DA's office in Manhattan. Yeah, and that's a that's a very fair question, given all of the political persecution that you've talked about that has been orchestrated in a number of different ways against President Trump, going all the way back to, as you say, 2016 or 2015 when he came down that golden escalator. And now, um, let's let's follow up on that um, to this breaking news story, according to a whistleblower. Uh, testimony has revealed that Tony Blinken, then serving as an advisor to the Biden campaign, 
um, either wrote or at least coordinated with and helped write the letter that 51 intelligence officials signed that they always point to, saying that the uh, Hunter laptop story was was Russian disinformation. Now it looks like Tony Blinken, who has become his Secretary of State, was responsible for that. So, w- what does that say? Well, he was. It was his prompting. It was. It was a call from Tony Blinken. Uh, contact from Tony Blinken on October 17th, three days after the New York Post story was 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 published on October 14th, 2020. Three days later, Mr. Blinken, who's an advisor to the Biden campaign, gets a hold of, of Michael Mike Morell, the guy who was responsible for putting that whole statement together of the 51 former intel officials. He gets a hold of Mike Morell, asking him about, do you think this is Russian stuff? Then he later that day sends him a story that was in USA Today linking you know the Biden laptop to possibly being a Russian information operation. And Morell just goes with that. The next two days, he puts together the letter, gets the 50 people to sign it. On the 19th, the letter is released. And Mike Morell told us when we deposed him a couple weeks ago, he said, I did it because, A, I thought Trump was going to use this story, this laptop story, New York Post story, in the upcoming debate, the debate that was on October 22nd, 2020. So I thought he was going to use it. I wanted President, uh, Vice President Biden to win the election, and so I put it together for that reason. So that's why he put it together. Now, he, he thought actually it was Russian involvement, and that's what he believed at the time. Um, but he put it together to help Biden in the debate and help Biden win, and it was at the prompting of Tony Blinken. After the debate on the 22nd, guess what happened? Steve Reschetti, who is the chairman of the Biden campaign, gets on the phone and thanks Mike Morrell for what he did, for putting that letter together. And, at, and during that debate, never forget, never forget two key facts. A, it was false what they said because it wasn't a Russian information operation, so that was false. Second, Biden presented it in the debate as if it was some organic thing, as if it just happened. These 51 guys just all got together and, and, and did it, when it wasn't that way at all. It was, it was with the campaign. The campaign even told Mike Morrell, here's the journalist we want you to use to break the story about this letter. So that, that is what we learned in that deposition. It's one of the many things we've learned as part of our uh, investigation into how government has been used against the American people. And just to just to clarify for people, when you do a deposition, these people testify under oath, correct? They sure under, do. Un, yeah, under they penalty sure of do. perjury. So what C, former CIA acting director Mike Morrell told you and Mike Turner uh, is that Tony Blinken, literally a phone call that he had actually uh, with Tony Blinken, triggered Morrell to draft that statement that they then said 51 people signed. So, again, let's go back, because you talked about this persecution starting way back in 2015, and it did. The Russia hoax that was, uh, you know, two and a half years of wasted time and resources <clears throat> with the Mueller investigation, proved that that was nothing but a hoax. Then they used the Russians again. It seems like that's their go-to move when it comes time for pre- President, yeah. uh, uh, President uh, Trump to be reelected. They use Russians again here to try to draft this ridiculous story to kill the, uh, kill the Hunter Biden. The damaging would be an understatement. What do you think would have been the result had this letter not been drafted, had Tony Blinken and Mike Morrell not acted, and Hunter Biden's laptop contents were revealed to the American public two weeks before the election? Well, it's not what I think. It's what polling suggests. Polling suggests that if the American people would have known this, that they'd had a chance to really digest this information, uh, that it would have changed the outcome of the election. So that's what polling suggests. Because understand what this letter became the final stamp. The big tech was already, and big media were already trying to downplay the Hunter Biden story. But when this comes out, this letter from 51 former intel, and understand on that letter, too, Bob, it had their titles. 
their former titles. So it gave it the, you know, the, the, the weight, the gravitas of, oh, this is the former head of the DNI. This is the former head of the CIA. It, it had, so that letter became the final straw for big tech to then suppress the story, not let it be shared, not let it be uh, moved about, not let it be liked and talked about on, on social media. And that, that had to impact election. And, of course, polling suggests that it may have, in fact, changed the election. Congressman, uh, we're talking to Congressman Jim Jordan, the uh, House Judiciary Committee uh, chairman. Um, you made a statement a few days ago, you are 100% all in for President Trump. Um, I, I want you to speak to that um, to quiet the critics, or at least to give the critics an explanation, because many of them are saying you are just in the tank for Trump, you're one of his lead guys, you're one of his lead attack dogs, and that's driving your actions as chairman of both the Judiciary Committee and the Weaponization Subcommittee, that this is all about you getting your guy elected, that you're not doing the work of the American people, you're doing the work of Donald Trump. Can you can you kind of give something to them to shut them down? Because I know where your heart is, and I know where yeah, and I know your your intentions are the best. But this is what they're saying about you, sir. So can you respond to them? Well, the weaponization of uh, having agencies turned on the American people and we the people and the taxpayer is wrong, regardless of who who's in the White House or who we want to be in the White House. So that's why we're doing. It's about the First Amendment. It's about protecting the Constitution. That's what this is about. Understand what we've uncovered in the last several weeks. We learned that the FTC sent 13 letters to Twitter after Elon Musk bought the company. The first letter after the first Twitter files comes out, the first question in that letter was, who are the journalists you're talking to? Name four journalists by name. The two of those journalists testify, and Democrats ask them, who, who are your sources? Another attack on the First Amendment. While they're asking those kind of ridiculous questions, the IRS is knocking on one of those journalists' door. That's all because of the investigations we are doing to get the facts on the table for the American people so we can propose legislation to stop this stuff. And, oh, by the way, we've also, because a whistleblower came forward, we learned what the FBI Richmond Field Office was doing, how they were targeting traditional Catholics, another attack on the First Amendment. This is about protecting the Constitution, the First Amendment, and, frankly, doing our job. When have we ever seen, in the, in the case of Alvin Bragg, when have you ever seen a local prosecutor indict a former president? It's never happened in the history. In 200-plus years, the history of this country, it's never happened. And you look at the judge's opinion, because the judge cites, oh, the judge says in, the, in the Bragg's brief, they argue that, oh, the, the uh, Jordan and the Judiciary Committee are doing un- un- something unprecedented. They're, they're, they're trying to weigh in on a local matter. She points out in the footnote, she says, looks to me like you're also doing something unprecedented, which is indicting a former president, which has never been done. She says both swim in untested waters. So the judge was fair there, but her ruling, the court's ruling, was so strongly in our favor. So we have the judge who's, the court who's ruled on our side, and we're defending the First Amendment. That's why we're doing this work. That's a great response. And, and of course, I would continue to point out it's not the former president being indicted that to me is so astounding. It is the current candidate and leader of great the opposition point. party that is, uh, you know, that, that makes this almost election interference, I think a number of people have said. Congressman Jordan, um, I want to pivot now. Yesterday, an important uh, bill was passed out of the House um, with absolutely zero support from Democrats. 203 Democrats unanimously opposed protecting women's sports from invasion by biological males. What does that tell us? It tells us just how crazy the left has become and how, how the left has now got control of one of the two major political parties in this in this great country, the greatest country ever. And it, 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 it just <laughs> defies common sense. It, it, it's like it, you and I are surprised that we're even having to have a bill like this, for goodness sake. But, um, 
you know, it's just, it just a, a reflection of the where things are today in, in, in American politics and it's, uh, and, and culture. Uh, but I think the vast majority of the country gets it. I know all the, all your listeners get that you shouldn't have boys competing against girls in sports for goodness sake. Uh, so, um, we're just going to, we're just going to keep pressing ahead and doing what we know is the, is the right thing for the country. Well, you know, it's it's just so frustrating because to hear the left tell it, you know, they're the party that advocates for, the Democrats are the party that advocates for the protection of people in marginalized classes or marginalized groups. Well, women are one of those, particularly when it comes to athletic endeavors. They are the ones that would be in jeopardy here. They don't advocate for them, though. They advocate for the trans movement. Why? What is their motivation here? They call a bill like the Saving Women Sports Act, which was passed out of your house yesterday, um, they call that an attack on trans kids or trans people. But to not protect women's sports is a full attack on women. Suddenly they don't yeah. care about women's you know, safety and they don't care about women's causes and women's concerns. That, to me, is what's so astounding here. Yeah, no, and well, and well said. Um, the part that probably bothers me, too, so much is the left always says, they go, you Republicans, you conservatives, you're always, you're always involving yourselves in the culture wars. And I'm like, what? We, we, you're the ones who said boys should compete against girls in sports. You're the ones who brought it up. We did, we just wanted it to be like common sense, the way it's supposed to be, for goodness sake. So it's not like we're starting this culture war. We're just defending the, what, what would be normal, what would be, what would be, uh, you know, again, common sense. So, um, that's the frustrating part as well. And as, and as you point out, it's actually an attack on, uh, I think, what, what Title IX was about and what, uh, you know, protecting women and allowing them to have the opportunities to, to compete uh, and excel in, in their chosen sport. Congressman, I saved the best for last here. This is extraordinarily important. Yesterday, I had on uh, Adam Brandon. He's the president of FreedomWorks, and uh, mm-hmm. we were talking about the, the debt crisis, the $31 trillion in debt that we have right now as a nation. He said we'll become $51 trillion in 10 years at our current pace. Yeah. Obviously, we have to do something. So here we sit now facing the debt ceiling once again, and uh, Speaker McCarthy yesterday uh, unveiled uh, the plan, uh, unveiled the, um, uh, what are we calling it again, the Limit Save and Grow Act, which he says yep. will uh, bring the spending under control and it will save us over the course of 10 years $4.5 trillion. What can you tell us uh, about this act? Well, it's, it's, it's good because we're actually going to, we're actually going to change, change things. Uh, and, and we certainly have to, because as Adam pointed out, we're on the, on a track that is just unsustainable. Um, so it, it is the right kind of stuff that he's done. We're, we're doing good savings, some long-term savings, some savings in the short run, clawing back some of the unspent COVID money. Uh, the IRS agents, the 87,000, so there's some, uh, there's some focus on this, this weaponization of government against we the people as well. So I think it's good. The one thing I wish was also in there was this idea we've talked about before where when we get to the fisc- end of the fiscal year, uh, uh, on, on September 30th, that if we don't have an appropriations process finished, that you don't, you don't shut down the government, but you ratchet down. You say, we're going to spend where we're at. And then with each month that we don't get our job done, you, you start saying, okay, well, now we're going to spend at 99% of what we were spending. You, you can achieve savings that way too and not have a shutdown. But overall, I think this, uh, this plan is putting the right things there. And we'll see what Joe Biden says. See what he does. He says, Oh, we're not going to negotiate. We got to go. We just got to keep doing the same old, same old. Well, that's, that's no one believes that except, uh, the, the, you know, the Democrats in Washington. But uh, this is something I think you will see pass next week, and then we'll move on with the negotiation. 
Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you about the negotiations. The press secretary yesterday, uh, Karine Jean-Pierre, first of all lied and said that the proposal put forth by Speaker McCarthy would not uh, would not keep us out of default. That's number one. She had to, she had to be corrected by a CNN reporter, of all things. Uh, and then secondly, um, she basically said this uh, entire proposal guts the things that are most important to the American people, and it's a dead issue as far as when it arrives to uh, President Biden and his negotiators. Well, I mean, that is just so, so ridiculous. Again, it shows how crazy the left is. We've got record debt, record spending, record inflation, and we don't want to change anything. Well, well who, who can say that? That is just so, so ridiculous. But that's their ridiculous position. So, again, I think the country gets that. We're going to have to pass this next week, and then go take the case to the American people. And I think the American people are smart. And I think they're going to say, yeah, that makes no sense. Get to the table, Joe Biden. Let's figure out what we can do. Yeah, well, uh, it doesn't sound like he has an appetite for uh, for getting to the table right now. We'll have to see where that goes. It's going to take some persuasion to get something done on this. Congressman Jim Jordan, it's been a busy week for you. Thank you for coming on here at the end of it. You Hope you enjoy your weekend, and we'll talk to you soon. You too. Thank you, Take sir. care. That's Jim Jordan, the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, chairman of the uh, Judiciary uh, Subcommittee on Weaponization. Um, he's, uh, he's doing exactly what he said he was going to do. Prior to the November election, remember... There were a lot of people, even in January, who wanted him to be the speaker. And prior to the election, people wanted him to uh, to run for speaker as well. And he said, all, all I want is the opportunity to chair the judiciary, because he's going to hold people accountable. That's the only way to turn what has been done to this country around, is to hold the people accountable who did it. And that's exactly what he continues to do. And the left just despises him for it. 954, we'll be right back. Great conversation with Jim Jordan. A lot of very important information there. I got a lot of great answers out of him that we needed to get to. So uh, by all means, uh, if you missed it, you should go back and listen to it after 1 o'clock. About 1 o'clock or so, it'll be available at the uh, uh, webpage, whkradio.com, on the podcast page there. Now, coming up in hour number two, um, we were supposed to have Steve Dace, as I mentioned. If you were listening at the uh, top of the show, Steve Dace um, is uh, a host on the Blaze TV, and he's an author, and he wrote a book uh, about this subject is, that has been made into a movie now called Nefarious. Uh, Steve is uh, undergoing a medical, I don't want to say calamity, but uh, a medical condition. He is una- unavailable today. So, number one, pray for Steve Dace and his health and recovery. Number two, you can fill his spot. That means the next half hour is wide open for your free-for-all Friday calls at 216-901-0945. And believe me, there are a lot of subjects, a lot of topics that we can get into. I will let you pick those topics. I have so many. I'm looking at my screen and all of my show prep that I do, and I literally need about a six-hour show today to cover all of this, but I just don't have it. You know what I will give you to hold you over into the break? Let me give you this. This can't be real except for the fact that it is actually real. I want you to listen to this Democrat representative um, who who has decided that uh, what Pete Booty Judge is doing to protect people as the Secretary of Transportation um, hasn't been enough until now. Now he's really got his finger on the pulse of how to protect people um, from the from his seat as Secretary of Transportation. This is Democrat Representative Rosa DeLauro from Connecticut highlighting the vital work 
that Transportation Secretary Pete Booty Judge is doing to ensure that female crash test dummies are used in vehicle crash testing to fight gender inequity among crash victims. You also plan to make important investments to uh, address the roadway safety crisis, including the critical funding that would accelerate the development. And this is an area I've, I've written to you about of the use of female uh, dummies in crash testing. This will start to fight the gender inequity among vehicle safety and crash victims. Oh, the jokes sometimes just write themselves, such as it's 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 um, admirable of her to try to fight for some of her own. I'll be right back. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. Onward into hour number two on this Friday edition of Always Right Radio. It's 11 minutes past 10 o'clock. It's the 21st morning of the fourth month of the year of our Lord 2023. Uh, we've got opportunities for you to be heard this half hour at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. We like to call it Free For All Friday, whatever topic you want to hit. Is fine by me, but I do want to hit this because I teased it earlier on and I want to finish it. Um, the trans movement is is one hundred percent and wholly re- reliable reliable upon lies. Uh, let me rephrase: it, it it relies upon lies. It is impossible for it to exist without lies the the lies being of course that sex is malleable that a man can become a woman a woman can become a man when it is absolutely 100 percent not true that a trans person can be the opposite sex simply by saying so if that's what they really believe trans women are women trans women can menstruate too men can't do those things of course but but this is this is literally the only way that the agenda and the narrative can be continued is to perpetuate lies. That's why the left gets so furious when somebody dares to tell the truth. And when somebody is willing to say it publicly and out loud, the left calls it violence. Literally. They, They call words violence. The left actually believes, and in fact, KJPDH, Green John Pierre, the diversity hire, Press secretary, the one who's black and gay, um, she literally said that criticism of Dylan Mulvaney, who is the feminine male, the 20-some-year-old feminine male who likes to dress up as a uh, six-year-old girl and who found a way on the cans of Bud Light, uh, leading to billions of dollars of losses for the uh, the manufacturer, Anheuser-Busch. Um, she calls criticism, does KJ PDH, she calls criticism of, of Dylan Mulvaney violence. That's how they try to s- shut you down. That's right. You know, and of course, if you condemn, criticize, or even ask a question, you don't even have to be critical or, uh, or to condemn anything having to do with the trans movement or trans individuals or any of the lies to be called transphobe. All you have to do is question it. Just question it. Are you sure trans women are real women? Transphobe! 
how do you how do you have a period if you don't have a uterus and 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 ovaries and and eggs? How, what do you mean, transphobe? That's what I mean. You they literally and then because you don't want to be called a phobe, you shut up. They like lies. They rely upon lies. It is literally the only way they can keep their advan- their, their uh, movement advancing. So what they really hate is when people come out and actually say the truth. Uh, recent episode of Dr. Phil, uh, actually the one that, was, that aired yesterday. Dr. Phil was having a discussion, of course, about the trans movement and gender inclusivity in schools, ranging from tampons being put in boys' restrooms to curriculum teaching transgender ideology. A fifth-grade teacher was one of the guests who stepped up and said the reality of this, and he instantly became public enemy number one. Uh, the sixth or the fifth grade teacher, his name is um, is listed as just Ron. We don't have a last name here, and that's probably. And what's really interesting is, is in the story that I'm reading from right now, it says Ron, but the Chiron on the screen from Doctor Phil says Ray. <laughs> so, either way, they're only giving a first name and not, not a last name. And the reason why is because he is clearly going to be targeted. There's no doubt about that, but I want you to listen to this, and I want you to listen to the reaction as the audience just goes into a rage over somebody telling the biological truth. Men do not menstruate. Only women menstruate. But what about trans men and non-binary? They're not men. a whole group of they're, people They're women dressed as men. You are not a man. You pretend to be a man, and that's okay. That's perfectly fine. Live your life. I'd like to understand from your perspective why you don't believe it's rude and why you think you have a right to, when someone identifies a certain way, for you to tell them that that is not correct, that they are that particular gender or identity. Why do I feel that it's right to tell them the truth? But it's not you know, the truth. The people, the people who hate the truth People who hate the truth are because they see they see the truth as hateful. If, if you want to identify in any way you can, you're free to do so. But that does not mean that the rest of us have to join that illusion. If a transgender person is not harming you or the people or you love, why do you care so much? No, I don't want you to care. I want you to be quiet. I want you to stop being hateful. So let me answer. You disagree. I disagree with you, and so you call it hate. But there's no hate in my heart at all. So that's you are being hateful when you tell somebody that identifies as a man that they're not a man. That's hateful. hateful. That's a fact. The uh, Pittsburgh Post Gazette reported um, that there was a loud boom, an explosion, the sound of an explosion uh, that happened. Uh, shortly, shortly after this, or in the middle of this particular um, uh, instant uh, 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 recording, if you will, uh, I'm trying to find the details on this here, if I may, because it just went uh, to print. Okay, beg pardon. Um, the Pittsburgh Post Gazette was reporting on the loud explosion as a conservative speaker um, discussed transgenderism at the University of Pittsburgh earlier this month. I think that might have been Riley Gaines. It might have been Michael Knowles, because I know each of them had experiences there. But at any rate, let's dive into the substance here briefly. Then I'll take your calls briefly. When one of these trans activists asks a person who tells the truth, like this fifth-grade teacher, Ray, or Ron, whichever one it is, 
and says, um, if a trans person isn't harming you, why do you care so much? Why do you have to have something to say about it? Every time I hear something like that, I just, I, 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 I bristle, to be polite. Um, it just angers me, though, to no end. Because that's not what happens. The trans people aren't just existing and thereby forcing people who don't believe in the, the, the biological lie that they tell to say something about it. It is the trans people who come to us. It is the LGBTQ movement who smashes these things in our faces everywhere we go and everywhere we turn, telling us, I'm a man, even if they're a biological woman, and daring us to respond. If we walk away, we're bigots. If we actually respond and say, no, you're not, we're transphobes. They literally pick fights everywhere they go. And for them to try to convince us and to convince audiences like Dr. Phil's that all we want to do is just live our lives and and not be hated, well, if you did that, we wouldn't have much of a problem. If you just kept your mouth shut and said, I'm a man, and that's what I you'll feel like. I, I feel like I'm a man. I'm going to dress like a man. Go do your thing. But when you try to force other people to acknowledge your manhood, now we've got a problem. And people aren't coming up to you to attack you. You are literally going up to them and demanding that they confirm your belief, that they, that they give credibility to you, that they acknowledge you as what you want to be called. You are starting the fights. We are not coming to trans people and saying, you know, no, you're not. I dare you to put me wrong. They are bringing that to everybody else, number one. And number two, if they just lived their lives and said, you know, I really feel more comfortable in guys' clothes. I really, feel, in fact, feel like a man. I'm going to call myself a man. If they just did that and did not take those feelings to little children and say, maybe you can be a man, too, to little girls. And to little boys, you know, you can grow up to be a girl, too. And to try to put these thoughts in their head, to try to indoctrinate them, to try to groom them for the same deviant lifestyle that they themselves choose to lead. So when I hear people like this one speaker to the fifth grade teacher said, you're not a man. Oh, that's hateful. Why can't you just let us be? Why do you care so much? Well, he doesn't. He just refuses to participate in the lies that are being told by the trans activists. Men do not menstruate. Only women menstruate. And one of the idiot trans activists said, cis men don't menstruate, but trans men do. There is no such thing as a cis man. That word is made up by the American left. It is a non-term. It is a non-entity. There are just men not cis men and trans men, there are men, period, point blank, that's it. Later in the episode, Ron objected to being interrupted, saying it's rude to do so, and an audience member claimed that he himself was rude by denying other people's gender identity. The audience member chimed in, I'd like to understand from your perspective why you don't believe it's rude and why you think you have a right to when someone identifies a certain way for you to tell them that is not correct. I'm going to tell you the answer to that question. He does have a right to. It is called the First Amendment. The only people here that do not respect rights are the trans activists. 
Because they want you to say what they want you to say. They want to force you, compel you to say something you do not believe. Otherwise, you're rude or bigoted or hateful or, or phobic or whatever the case might be. They are demanding that you sacrifice your rights to say what you believe, which is what's true and real, what is biological, what is scientific, what is easy to, to understand, what is obvious. They, they are demanding that you sacrifice your rights and then say, why do you think you have a right to not call me what I want to be called? He's the only one that does have rights in that situation. The people who hate the truth object to it because they see the truth as being hateful. If you want to identify, he said, in any way you can, you're free to do so. That does not mean the rest of us have to join in that illusion. And that is literally the point. There's a very simple phrase that's going around. It's been seen in meme form online and other places that I'll repeat here. If you want to identify as something that you're not, that's your business. If you want me to affirm that you are something that you're not, now it's my business. I don't have to participate. I don't have to play your game. I don't have to play charades with you. I don't have to play dress up with you. And I don't have to tell you what you want to hear. That is not your right. You have no right to hear something from me that I do not want to say and that I do not believe. These things are getting out of control, and I will push back at every single point, every single turn, every single time they try to get away with this nonsense, I will tell the truth. And ask me if I feel concerned about cancellation. Ask me if I give a rat's A what any of them say when I am sitting here bringing God's honest truth to the conversation. There is no trans person There are confused men, and there are confused women. And when they're confused, that's called a psychological disorder. And if they're confused, they can get psychological assistance. They don't get physical mutilation as the answer to their problem. And then they sure as hell don't get me affirming their their illusion and their fantasy against my own personal rights. I'll be right back. Okay, 1026, let's get a couple of phone calls in. We're going to start with um, Sally and Berea. Sally, go right ahead. You're on the air. Hi, Beth. Stop me if you already spoke about the emission of AM radio reception for new cars. But I do not. I have no in- go ahead. No, I said I did not speak on that, so go ahead. Okay. I have no interest in electric cars or can even afford one for that matter, but I found out that they already don't have AM radios, and there is a push to start omitting them from vehicles using gasoline, too. I view this as a slap at conservative uh, audiences, and I'm very concerned about the status of Salem, Salem stations, since I spend many hours in the car volunteering, and my favorite station is yours. Is there an organization to ad- advocate for the manufacturers to reconsider this decision? I don't. Yeah, I don't know the answer to that. I have heard what you're saying, Sally, and I thank you for the phone call. I have heard that they are doing that, that newer model cars are coming not equipped with AM radio. Um, it may be just because people are plugging their cars into the U or their uh, phones into the USB ports in their cars now and listening to all of their, uh, their, uh, content that way. Um, because I know what, I mean, I do, and I don't even have a new car. My car's four years old, my truck. Um, uh, and, and, uh, 
I do. I mean, I has an AM radio, but I plug in and then I, I listen to, you know, podcasts or listen to things through the uh, through the phone sometimes rather than through the actual radio. But I think you might be right. Yeah, they are trying very, very hard. And I want to say that I don't mean the car manufacturers per se, but, um, you know, the, the, the government, the left wing is trying very, very hard to silence conservative talk radio. And what better way to do it than to take away uh, the opportunity for people to listen over the air through their through their radios uh, and, and to take those out of vehicles. So, yeah, it's uh, it's it would not be surprising to me if that wasn't one of the motivations. I just can't prove it. Uh, Charlie is calling us from Brown Hill. Hey, Charlie, you're on AM 1420. The answer. Fire away. Hello, Bob. Thank you for taking my call. You got it. Um, on Wednesday, I had a conversation at uh, a, an event that our new uh, person that's running for senator, and I said uh, one about the Ohio value voters non-negotiables is the, the ending of marriage between two men or two women. And he said, that's too late. We'll never get that out of there, and you're going to lose a lot of people if you push that. And I believe... I truly believe this trans fad, this thing that's going on in our society, came about eight years ago when the Supreme Court normalized homosexual activity. All these people are homosexuals, and you know they're moving away from just being gay. They're being, you know, but our Supreme Court made a major error. It was an experiment, a bold experiment, and it's failed, and it's failing our society. And we have to push back against gay marriage because this is the result. This is the absolute result. What do you think? Well, I think the person you spoke with is right. Um, you're never going to unring that bell. They're never going to disallow gay marriage again. But you are right in insofar as what it what it has brought. And and the time for that fight. And thank you for the call, Charlie. I got news here. The time for that fight was then, and it was fought, and we lost. And we lost because, you know, there were some members of the Supreme Court uh, that were supposed to be, and there were some members of the United States Senate, including Rob Portman, who were supposed to be on the side of the Constitution. Uh, the Constitution has never mentioned marriage. They wrote it in. They literally just invented something that was never, ever discussed in the Constitution. The time for that fight was then. And what we said during that fight then was, this isn't just about two people wanting to, quote-unquote, say, we're married. This is going to begin a massive um, revolution, an LGBTQ revolution. It used to be just, we just want to live our lives, leave us alone, and then it was, how many more steps can we take? You gave us this inch, we are coming for our mile. And that's where we stand right now. We're trying to recruit little kids in preschools into the LGBTQ community. It did start. I truly believe it did start with the uh, with the um, same-sex marriage ruling. So you were right about that and about the danger, but I think the person you spoke with is right that we're not going to be able to change that. It's never going to come out off of the, off of the books. Thanks for the call, my friend. It's 1031. We'll, we'll be uh, right back after this. Reason in the age of unreason. Always right radio with Bob France and the answer. Always right radio indeed at 1038. Thanks so much for being with us. So um, we've been talking uh, for a bit now um, since I became aware of the event uh, about taking back America's children. This is a nationwide event, really. Uh, it's a nationwide tour, and to do it in Ohio. Um, 
it's going to require some very, very impressive people. Uh, what Taking Back America's Children is, if you don't know yet, if you haven't heard me talking about it, it is uh, a sponsored summit from Proclaiming Justice to the Nations. Lori Cardoza-Moore has been on this program a few different times before. She is going to be on with me next week. She is uh, she is the founder and the president of, take, of uh, Proclaiming Justice to the Nations. And she has a very vested interest, as do we all, in stopping the indoctrination and returning America's schools to education, including and maybe even especially here in Ohio. So they're coming on April 30th. So obviously we're talking nine days away. It's going to be in Hudson. It's going to be a very informational seminar, but it's going to be very motivational as well as we try to pump people up. If you're a parent of a child now, or maybe a grandparent of kids who are going through the government school uh, scenario right now, uh, but also people who don't have kids in school anymore, but you're just a patriot and you care about the state of this country and the future of this country if we don't do something uh, to restore education and stop the indoctrination in the forms of CRT, uh, SEL, which is social emotional learning, uh, learning uh, ESG, and so much more. Uh, so one of the speakers, I told you they had to bring some talent, and they did, and they are, uh, that's going to be there on April 30th is Jeremiah Sawyer. He's got 25 years, more than 25 years of experience uh, leading and owning several businesses in service, medicine, industrial, manufacturing, education. And he is also the founder of an important group called the Ohio School Board Constitutional Coalition, grassroots movement. Uh, to bring like-minded school board members together and educational professionals and parents to pursue an academics first educational agenda. And, uh, Jeremiah Sura joins us right now on AM 1420, The Answer. Jeremiah, good morning. Good to talk to you. How are you, sir? Good morning, Bob. I'm great. And, uh, thanks so much for having me. And One of- I really wanted to give a big thank you from OSBCC to you and your team. Your show is awesome. We're a huge fan. You raised the bar for media. So thank you. It's very kind of you to say. I'm trying to do a very small part, but you know what really is impressive to me? It isn't a guy doing a radio show. It's people like you that actually take action. And uh, I want you to tell me about how you founded and why you founded uh, the Ohio School Board Constitutional Coalition. That's uh, that's that's next level stuff right there. It's one thing to do a radio show, to call a radio show, to complain and say, I'd like to do this, I'd like to do that. You didn't say it, you did it, and you're doing it. Tell me about it. Yeah, you know, COVID really opened a lot of our eyes, um, both the way it was handled by leaders, supposed leaders in our communities and in our government, and the way they treated our children. And I saw so much pain around me in our children, um, not being in school, the, the, the anxiety of being at home and the pressures of drug and alcohol abuse because of the problems of not being in school and not socializing. And it pushed me to the edge where I, had, I knew I had to do something. I went and spoke to school, our school board several times and realized that they weren't going to listen, that we had to take action and get involved and be the decision makers to make a difference. Um, once I got in there, I started to realize, wow, it isn't just COVID. The whole school systems have been taken over by the leftist bureaucracy um, over the last 10, 20, 30 years or more. Um, Ohio's dropped to 33rd in both average ACT scores and overall public school ranking. Uh, I couldn't believe the, the, the focus we lost on academics that I didn't even think about when I ran because of COVID and our kids not being in school. Um, but then I realized how much we've lost focus, the whole state of Ohio, of not having academics. And I started looking around, and there, there weren't too many people to support us. 
the whole system was controlled by a leftist bureaucracy. So OSBCC kind of started with seven people on a Zoom call. We just talk and support each other. And then we realized, okay, we got to really organize this and take this to the next level. Um, and so we started OSBCC to really turn the tides on this. We're a team of teams, you know, and we really are calling on parents, grandparents, and citizens to join us and engage to bring sanity back to our public school system and do an academic first approach um, through this local grassroots movement. Because this is our children, this is our future. And, and I really knew we had to make a change and be decision makers and start taking back our school boards so you can shift the agenda in the, in the, both in the boardroom, in the school. Jeremiah, your phone's breaking up just a little bit there toward the end of those comments, so um, it will, hopefully uh, this will be restored as I ask this question. Um, going back to what you said about COVID and about uh, you know uh, uh, realizing how dysfunctional these schools have become, do you think this started because of COVID and the teachers not being able to teach normal lessons, or did COVID... Uh, just reveal it because you were able to look at your kids' laptops as they held those virtual learning sessions and, and come to find out that this indoctrination has been going on for a very long time. And if it's the latter, how long do you think it's been that this movement away from actual education and academics-oriented education that you're pushing for uh, with the OSBCC, uh, how long has it been that way? I think COVID revealed it. And a lot of this has been going on for a, many years Um and there hasn't been much accountability, both from parents and citizens, because we didn't even realize it, what was going on. And it's probably, it's, they're decades ahead of us with pushing this. It's, it's really been the over-sexualization of our kids, and there's pornography in our libraries. Um, OHSAA has bylaws that allow biological boys to deal against biological girls. You know, we've shifted so far away from what schools were set up to be to be at places for education and academics. Jeremiah, we're talking to Jeremiah Sawyer. He is the founder of the nonprofit group Ohio School Board Constitutional Coalition. He's going to be one of the presenters on uh, uh, April 30th in Hudson uh, of the Proclaiming Justice to the Nations seminar. It's going to be a very important one. It's called Taking Back America's Children, Ohio Summit. Um, so, so Jeremiah, you know, you talk about the overt sexualization of our kids, and you're right, but there is also the overt um, racial segregation of our kids, segregated not by by body in, in separate schools, although that is a thing too in some instances, but in terms of thought, um, CRT style, uh, teaching little little black kids to hate little white kids because white kids are racist by their DNA. They are little oppressors, and you as little black kids are never going to have a fair chance in this white world. And then, of course, uh, white kids that are taught to think less of the black kids. And and it's there's so much division that, that is being foisted upon these kids. Um, are the movements that are doing those things, the overt sexualization and the overt racial segregation, working together, or is it two separate entities that just happen to be kind of uh, being advanced at the same time in these schools that are going to lead to, you know, eventual of the melt, eventually the meltdown? A, a lot of it, Bob, is built into the overall. The system has been skewed where the support structure is all with a much more radical left agenda and there's not enough voices on bringing back academics and sanity and 
conservative Judeo-Christian values back to our children. Um, and that's really why we started OSBCC, because there, everything was controlled by that kind of ideology. So we wanted to have more of a constitutional-based, a values-based group of support. Um, and when we started meeting over a little over a year ago, um, it was just the seven of us, and we're now up to over 100 school board members. We've got 50 people running in 2023, and we've got over 300 people from various freedom and parent groups. And it's really to, to shift that. So there's a voice for all, and it's funny because diversity goes both ways. You know, there, there needs to be a voice for all of us. And this core value voice has been lost um, over the last decades. And that's really what we're trying to bring back. Well, there's no doubt, and I agree with that, by the way, and diversity should go both ways. It doesn't, unfortunately, which is, I think, part of, part of the reasons why you exist and this, this, this uh, nonprofit you found that exists. But going back to my question, my last question about, you know, CRT versus, you know, uh, the sexual, uh, comprehensive sexual education, sexual ideology, and so, so forth being pushed on kids. My question is, is, is the fight the same fight? to stop both of those things or are there separate efforts that need to be made um to you know to to halt those those very dangerous concepts from being put into our schools is is it kind of like a an all in one type of thing or is there separate things that need to be done to defeat both of those things it's it's kind of an all in one cuz it's your the approach you take to your your curriculum at the schools like the, in the policies that the school board controls cuz the school board controls the policies Everybody preaches about local control, although there's a lot of questions with that. But the policy manual and, and, the, and the precedents you set and the tone you set for your administration, because basically the treasurer and the superintendent work for the school board. So we set the tone for the administration, and you can start making those structural changes by changing the policy and, and creating the conversation in the boardrooms to go back to the academic to to flush out all that political and all those agenda items and get back to education. So I feel like it's all an all-in-one. you got to systematically fix it and change it. And it starts locally at the grassroots with parents and grandparents getting involved and citizens, whether you run for school board or you speak up in your school board meetings. You start to shed light on these things going on and create conversation back to academics and focus on some of the measurables for academics. And then you structurally change it by changing policy. So then the policies are in place. But like a lot of the policy writers are a part of the system that's broken. So that's what we have to keep pushing that and breaking that down and get it back to where it should be. That's a great point. Uh, we're talking to Jeremiah Sawyer, the founder of the nonprofit Ohio School Board Constitutional Coalition. One more question on this before we talk about the event and the summit on the 30th. Um, you mentioned that you have 50 board members, uh, or excuse me, school board uh, candidates being trained right now, as I understand it, by uh, the organization. And I'm curious, I mean, that's fantastic, but there's, you know, how many school districts are there in Ohio? Six, <laughs> there's over 600 school 600 districts and over 3,000 school board members. There you go. That's where I was going. Each of them yeah. with about five school board members, so we're talking 3,000. So we're training 50, and yeah. that's a great start. How? First of all, how did you recruit those individuals? Second of all, how do you ramp that up? How do we ramp that up all over the state of Ohio? Because we need, you know, we're going to need thousands or at least hundreds if we're going to make a dent in what we're dealing with. We need hundreds, if not thousands. You're right. Yeah. It's It's mostly been word of mouth and then, 
the OSBC team, team going out and talking at different events, whether it's a Republican event, uh, a church event, a freedom fighter event, a parent event. The event in getting the word out is the biggest thing. Anybody can sign up with OSBCC at our website, OSBCC.org, and you click on the membership tab. Um, and that's like when we get that message out there, people sign up and they want to get on our newsletter and they get all our information, and then the, we start getting more and more momentum. Uh, OSBCC has an awesome team of seven school board members. Um, they all won their election. We've got Amy Kissinger, a veteran school board member out of Cambridge. We've got Tom Hack, a veteran school board member out of Riverside. Patrick Birch, a school board member out of New Norton. He's a, he was newly elected like myself. Annie Payne out of Mentor. Rick Singer, another veteran out of Brooklyn. Um, myself out of North Royalton. And then Matt Markling, who's a lawyer, a, super, a superintendent, and a former school board member out of Lakewood. Um, so we're all, we, get, we engage in our various communities, um, different party meetings, and talk about OSBC, get the word out, and then people sign up. And then through our, our newsletter and our communication, we've got a Telegram channel um, that gets a lot of engagement and tips and chats. And then we've got a Schools in the News we publish every month. Um, we're also, do, Matt is putting on a monthly school law webinar. So all those things are generating buzz and talk and collaboration and people working get together and it's recruiting more people to the cause. Jeremiah, uh, last thing for you here. Let's talk about Sunday, April 30th, uh, in Hudson. How did you get hooked up with PGATN, and what can you tell us about the event, Bigger Picture? Yes. Sunday's going to be awesome. I'm really looking forward to it. I met Lori Cardoza-Moore through Max Miller. Um, I know Max pretty well, and he's a great. He's doing a great job for us in Washington. And he put me in touch with her. And I started talking to her about everything that PGN-TN was doing and the founding of TBAC, Taking Back America's Children. And when she said she was doing that event in Hudson, I was like, man, that's awesome. It's perfect. It fits right into what we're doing. Um, they've got Jim Renate. He's going to be there, Stephanie Miller. And then the, the OSBCC team, the people I mentioned, at least four of us are going to be there, if not five or six. Um, and we're going to talk about how to stop this woke indoctrination by winning your board of education. You know, we're going to, do you think you have the right stuff? It's tough to be on school board. You got to have thick skin and you got to be tough. Um, once you win, or we'll help you to win then. If you think you're right and you pass the test to be right, we're going to give you the tools to help you to win. We've got a school board checklist, um, a real simple one pager that follows along with our training. And we're going to put on the training, uh, on the 30th. And then we're going to talk about, okay, now you've won. How can we start succeeding? Implementing policies getting discussion, pushing the envelope on these issues in the school board with the administration to make a difference locally, which ultimately makes a difference across the state. Um, so we're really excited to be talking to the people there in Hudson on the 30th and uh, getting people to sign up for it on, their, uh, on the PJTN.org website. That's where it is, pjtn.org. Uh, I click on it, and uh, if you wait just like five seconds, there's a splash banner that will pop up that will take you directly to the Hudson. Uh, see, there's a video, and I'm looking at it right now, that kind of splashes up there about Israel, and then it goes right to uh, the uh, the uh, uh, Taking America, uh, taking Back America's Kids Ohio Summit. You can click that link right there and uh, register for that event. It's going to be a very important day. It's going to be a long day, 7.30 a.m. to about uh, 5.30 p.m. A lot of great speakers, including including Jeremiah, including Lori herself. Uh, Jeremiah, thank you for informing us, letting us know what you're doing with uh, the OSBCC. 
please keep us posted as to your progress and let us know how we can help spread the word, okay? Thank you. That's awesome. I look forward to seeing people on the 30th. And yeah, don't hesitate to sign up at OSBCC.org. You Thank got you. it. Great stuff. Thank you very much. OSBCC.org, as you just heard, for the uh, uh, for his organization, and then PJTN.org for the summit on Sunday, April 30th. We'll be back. Okay, 1057, Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Thank you to Jeremiah Sawyer. Great conversation with him. We had a great conversation earlier with Jim Jordan. Make sure you catch those if you missed them on the webpage, whkradio.com. Coming up, <clears throat> excuse me, coming up in uh, about 13 minutes or so, we're going to have another great conversation with Donovan O'Neill. He is the president of the... Um, uh, blah, blah, blah. Why am I always forgetting the name of it? Americans for Prosperity Ohio Network. The Ohio Network. Americans for, for Prosperity is a federal or national organization. Uh, but Americans for Prosperity Ohio is led by uh, Donovan O'Neill. Uh, our good friend Khalid Namar, who uh, sits in for me and hosts this radio program uh, on various ca- occasions when I'm not around, is a big part of this. He's the grassroots engagement director for AFP Ohio. Anyway, Donovan O'Neill is going to join us uh, coming up after the top of the hour to talk about the uh, budget proposal that was made yesterday, uh, specifically the proposals on income and tax and Ed Choice voucher funding. We're talking about the Ohio budget. We're talking about uh, Ed Choice. And uh, again, school choice is a huge, huge issue. It's something that AFP is very strongly supportive of. So am I. As a matter of fact, <clears throat> it's one of the biggest complaints that we have thus far with the Jason Stevens-led Ohio House is the fact that the backpack bill, which is the ultimate in school choice, really, has not been advanced and is probably going to uh, uh, die um, during this particular session of the of the General Assembly. So we're going to talk about that with Donovan O'Neill as we continue. A lot of education talk this hour, this uh, particular segment or so. Uh, great stuff with Jeremiah Sawyer on getting our classrooms back, and now we're going to talk about school from that standpoint as well. So we'll talk with Donovan O'Neill, and of course we'll take more of your calls too at 216 888-281-1110. Stay right here on Always Right Radio. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by KeepingMedicareSimple.com and The Floor King. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. is Always Right Radio with Bob Fred on AM 1420, The Answer. Yes, indeed, our number three is underway. 
It is 10 minutes past 11 o'clock on this Free For All Friday, the 21st morning of the fourth month of the year of our Lord, 2023. Thanks again to Jeremiah Sawyer joining us. Thanks to uh, Congressman Jim Jordan who joined us. Coming up in about a half an hour, we're going to talk with Jack Windsor in our last segment. Jack, I just got a message from Jack. We couldn't talk to Jack. He was uh, otherwise occupied for his regular Wednesday hit. Uh, So he uh, just messaged me a few minutes ago saying he's available today. So we're going to get him in at about 11.35 for our very last segment. Right now, though, I want to focus on... Americans for Prosperity, AFP Ohio to be precise. AFP Ohio is pushing Ohio representatives to use the budget, the upcoming budget, to do what needs to be done to protect our kids, to expand school choice, to give uh, parents the opportunity to put their kids in places where their kids can be successful. You know, one would think that that wouldn't be uh, a controversial issue. Something that everybody ought to be able to get behind. Bipartisan, no no objections, should be. But then again, there are radical teachers unions who oppose that, and they control many of the Ohio state legislators. So joining us now to talk about this push and this effort is Donovan O'Neill. He is the state director of AFP Ohio. Uh, Donovan, good to talk to you again. How are you, sir? Bob, I'm doing great. It's been a week of work to advance freedom and prosperity in the Buckeye State. I'm happy to join you and your listeners uh, this just morning. A, just a week? I thought you did this all the time. <laughs> well, just I mean, this week. We keep, we keep at it all the time. I know you do. I'm being flippant, and I apologize. So, yes, Donovan, um, this is very important. I was reading the letter that you wrote uh, to uh, Ohio State Representatives talking about the backpack bill, talking about the Parent Educational Freedom Act, and the governor's uh, proposal to expand ed choice to 400% of the federal poverty level as uh, found in House Bill 33. Tell me about all three of those things. What are you telling these legislators? Yeah, well, well, quite frankly, what we're telling legislators is that they need to use the opportunity that exists within the state's biennial operating budget. And this this isn't a small document, Bob. This is a, a $90 billion uh, expenditure that the, the taxpayers of the state of Ohio are committing to. Now, it encompasses all of the various things that, you know, make our state operate. Um, and among those, we think the, the General Assembly, with this massive amount of money they're about to embark on spending or committing to spending for the next few years, that within it, they should bring something like the backpack bill, right? Universal education opportunity to the Buckeye State and make it available for all families in all places everywhere here in Ohio. And so that's the argument we've been making is saying there are a lot of good proposals out there, but at a minimum, what we need is is, is, is the proposal that's going to accomplish ensuring that if a family wants to take their child to the school they're choosing, they have the ability to do it. And it's not a hard concept. I mean, already states like West Virginia, Iowa, Arizona, Utah, Florida, Florida with a bipartisan agreement, believe it or not, sent that sent a similar bill, similar type of legislation, I should say, to Governor Ron DeSantis, and he signed it into law. This is something we can do in Ohio, but the headwinds are hard, um, are pretty strong when it comes to, to going big and bold here in Columbus, and we need folks' support to let their legislators know they, they want to see this uh, brought into action. Tell me about the headwinds. Who Who is opposing this? As I kind of said, tongue-in-cheek a little bit, this shouldn't be controversial, but it is. Who is pushing back? Well, you know, you expect pushback from a lot of the Democrats. Um, they they have concerns where uh, you know teachers' unions and others are, are very vocally opposed to this. Although, by the way, a lot of teachers do support this kind of reform because uh, it's frontline dollars that go into the classroom or, or help empower them to be free to do what, why they got into the teaching profession in the first place. But strangely enough, here in Ohio, so many 
so-called conservative Republican legislators in the House are pushing back against this type of reform with any number of reasons that they can come up with. And you can't honestly, I'm at a point where I don't think you can give them an answer that's going to satisfy them. They just straight up do not believe that a parent should be empowered to make the choices for their child's education. Uh, rather, it's something that they, in their infinite wisdom in Columbus, are best positioned to do through through our public schools. You're getting that directly from them? Can you, uh, can you name names, or are these off-the-record comments? <laughs> well, you can watch testimony yesterday. I delivered testimony in the House Finance Committee. You can go to the OhioChannel.com if you want to take a look at some of the testimony. It got pretty fiery over an hour of, of talking with legislators. I mean, you, what's weird to me, though, is you have folks like John Cross, Representative John Cross, uh, who is a co-sponsor of House Bill 11, the backpack bill in Ohio, yet was furious in committee that uh, our organization had the audacity to call their budget mediocre uh, because it didn't include the backpack bill. Legislation Representative Cross is a co-sponsor on today, uh, and as far as I'm aware, continues to be a co-sponsor on. So it's, it's baffling to me what some of these folks are doing to, on one hand, in their districts, talk about being conservative in their mailers and in their campaign literature and in the conversations they have to earn the votes of the voters in their district, and then what they do in Columbus being totally different. You just blew my mind. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to process this. John Cross is a co-sponsor of the backpack bill and then was angry with you guys for calling the budget, whatever whatever language you just used, because weak or whatever, because it did not include the backpack bill. So is he now an opponent of the bill he sponsored? Is that what, am I, am I to understand that correctly? I think that's a question the constituents in his district should be asking him, especially the constituents in rural Ohio who want to see these kinds of education opportunities available to them, very conservative part of the state he represents, that want to see this happen. He's accountable to his constituents. I'm sure they'll have their, their say with him on this. Yeah, I, well, I hope so. Um, uh, let's talk about the constituents. Let's talk about the people in Ohio. In the letter you're sending to the representatives, and by the way, if you just turned us on, Donovan O'Neill is my guest. He is the state director of Americans for Prosperity Ohio. Um, you included a link to a survey by Yes Every Kid. Tell people about that Yes Every Kid and about that survey. Yeah, well, Yes Every Kid is an organization, a uh, national organization that works to um, advance education policy. That is for, uh, as their name says, Yes Every Kid, that these, these policies we enact need to, need to encompass everyone. And so what they've, they've done is they go around the country, they do polling, and they, they, have, they do advocacy, and they help you know, join on to coalitions similar to American, I would, I would describe them as kind of an Americans for tax reform. To tax reform, yes, every kid is that to the, to the, the, the education space, um, advancing you know, bold reforms in the education space. And so they do these polls to help educate lawmakers and connect them to the, to the realities of what we're, uh, what we're facing here. And, and in the recent poll that we delivered in a letter to, uh, among a letter to uh, legislators about two weeks ago, you know, we pointed out that Ohio voters support implementing an education savings account by a five-to-one margin, 64% support with only 13% opposing. The, the margins are great there. This is something that voters want. Furthermore, 74% indicated support for school choice, right, where at a bottom line, 74%, three-fourths of Ohioans believe parents should be empowered to make that choice. Uh, we, we, we delivered that to the General Assembly as part of our the argument we're trying to, to lay before them of this is – not only good policy, but it's good politics. It's what your constituents want, and it's what Ohioans deserve. 
That's a great message. That's the reason I wanted you to give us those numbers, because they are pretty staggering, 64% and 74%. So why are these you know, conservative Republicans ignoring the will of the people who put them in their positions in the Ohio State House? So it's a great message. And, you know, you, you, you talk about... Um, um, school or Ed Choice, rather. Um, you know, we all know that Ed Choice has been a very valuable tool for a lot of people. It provides some funding to get kids out of government schools, which I think is the better vernacular for public schools because they are government run and controlled. Out of government schools and into private schools, it might be a little bit better, uh, but it didn't cover the full amount and it wasn't possible for some people to make that. So the goal here is to expand Ed Choice to the point where there is no cap where essentially it doesn't matter what your income is. If you want your kid out of a public or government school and go to a private school that has a tuition, that those dollars will follow. Correct. So, you know, the Governor DeWine in his state of the state and his initial budget that he submitted to the House for review increased the Ed Choice eligibility from 250% of the federal poverty limit. Mm-hmm. So anyone make, uh, whose household income was under 250% of the federal poverty limit would be able to access those Ed Choice dollars. The governor increased it to 400% which we think is great. It's, a, it's commendable. The House, in their recent version of the budget, bumped that up just a little bit more to 450% of the federal poverty limit. Again, commendable. It's more families having more access to these education opportunities. But what we've been striving for, even as we commend them, what we need to see, right, is a universal eligibility. And it's not about making sure that millionaires and billionaires can get their kids a little bit of state money to send their kid to the, the, the elite private school. But it really comes down to, Bob, you could set the FPL at 100%, 400%, 1,000%, 10,000%. At the end of the day, that single mother of three in Akron who is up at 8 o'clock at night looking at her kid's report card and saying, the school my kid is in today just isn't cutting it, I want a choice, still has to go through a broken ODE, Ohio Department of Education, application process to try to access those dollars. We need to remove the barrier to entry. We need to make this universally available. So when that single mother of three says, my kid is in, in line for another option in their education, that they can quickly take advantage of it without having to go through the, the bureaucratic rigmarole to get there. Let me ask you this, Donovan O'Neill. Um, the pushback from the teachers' unions and from those that they control, essentially on the left in the in the legislature, the general assembly, do they really believe that the government schools are so much better, and that's the reason why they want, uh, they oppose ed choice or ed choice expansion, they oppose the backpack bill and so forth? Do they really think they do it better, and that this is with kids in mind, or do they? Um, they just know that if the dollars follow the kids in their backpacks to go to private schools, there's going to be a, a, a smaller public education fund that's going to lead to lower salaries or you know lesser rates of increase, if you will, in future contracts. In other words, are they worried about the kids or themselves? I think uh, I'll say this. I do believe that, that many of the folks who are engaged in the public arena genu- generally, genuinely want to see folks succeed. They want to see students succeed. They want to see see our state succeed. The problem is the policy pathway decisions that they're taking to get there are flawed. And they're 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 based in sort of a status quo mentality that fails to see what the future opportunities could provide. Things like ESAs, right? Universal eligibility for these opportunities that put frontline dollars into the kids backpack and allows that child to have a more mobile education experience as unique as themselves. And so uh, but also, um, there were a number of folks yesterday while I was delivering testimony who were appalled that I had uh, that I said that 
schools in some schools in Ohio were failing, and those those students deserve an opportunity to get out of that environment. They 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 said that's not true. That the school it's, it's appalling that you would say that the public school system in Ohio is failing. But here's what I would tell everybody. I told Bob and I tell your listeners too. Go look at the ODE's numbers. The Ohio Department of Education puts out numbers on how these schools are performing. We all know there's a problem. And even those folks, those, those legislators who are asking for more money into the public school system know there's a problem. But for some reason, they were appalled that somebody uh, with, like me would come into the, their chamber and tell them the pub, where the public schools are failing. We need to create opportunities like edu- universal ed choice for parents to be able to get out of those failing schools. I was just talking to Jeremiah Sawyer um, last segment before you came on, and uh, he was listing some of the failures uh, when it comes to meeting standards from the state of Ohio with respect to math scores and reading scores and so on and so forth. And it is astounding for them to say uh, that everything is fine and that there's nothing wrong with the schools the way they're run now and that their focus is on education and that they're successful. is just so, it's so disingenuous and so dishonest, it's, it's hard to even put into words. So, And that's the reason I ask. If the schools were fine, nobody would be screaming, give us school choice. If public schools were delivering the way they're supposed to, government schools, there wouldn't be this massive rush to get out and go to charter schools or private schools. Uh, and so I think the you know the proof is in their own results uh so donovan what can people do to help uh, support the efforts of americans for prosperity ohio to get the regi- uh, the uh, legislators to uh to advance these items uh the uh, the expansion of ed choice to no cap and uh, and obviously for full uh, full backpack bill uh passage well I-, I love the opportunity for the call to action uh we can't just talk we got to put our we got to put our, our strap our boots on and get out there and start talking to folks about this stuff so we're actually in a really tight timeline the House has the budget right now. They're going to make a few more amendments to it, of which we hope they would incorporate something like the Ed Choice uh, voucher program, universal eligibility for that, into the state budget. All signs point to them working to pass that budget out of the, out of the Ohio House and send it over to the Senate for further review late next week. So time is of the essence. Taking the time this weekend to, to contact your state representative if you have their number. You can also go online to the Ohio House of Representatives website and find their contact information. Let them know you support expanding vouchers, expanding school choice here in the here in the Buckeye State. The other thing you can do is uh, visit our, our in-state campaign for a bolder, better Buckeye State. It's a website called BuckeyeBlueprint.com. You can go to BuckeyeBlueprint.com. There's a take action page there. Within a few clicks of your mouse, you type your name in. It'll help you send a message to your state representative saying that you support the backpack bill, and they should pass the vote in support of it. Uh, in their t- during their time here in Columbus. So BuckeyeBlueprint.com if you want to take action, but call your representative, tag them on social media, let them know you, you want them to expand education opportunity, just like states like Florida have done under Governor Ron DeSantis. Donovan O'Neill, State Director for Americans for Prosperity Ohio. By the way, you gave uh, you made John Cross famous from uh, yesterday. I didn't get a chance to watch that on the Ohio channel, so uh, maybe uh, let me know the other names that we need to know so that we can tell their constituents, in particular in their districts, that they need to step up here. So if you could let us know that, we'll advance that information as well. Well, thanks, Bob. Thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Donovan. Donovan O'Neill, State Director uh, for Americans for Prosperity Ohio. We'll take a time out here. We'll take this all the way to the news so we have some room on the backside for our good friend Jack Windsor of the Ohio Press Network. That's coming up on AM 1420, The Answer. History is of ages past, unenlightened shadows cast. Down through all the This hour 
of Always Right Radio is brought to you by KeepingMedicareSimple.com and The Floor King. Yeah, and thank you, by the way, to my wonderful sponsors. Thank you to Mark King, Keeping Medicare Simple. Keanu has Rooney, The Floor King, my pair of kings. I told you I will take that hand to the poker table any day. My pair of kings is unbeatable. Make sure that you are in when you are in the need for either of those services or any of the services. Please support our sponsors. They partner with me for a really, really good reason. They believe in what I do, and I believe in what they do. I will not bring you clients and sponsors and service providers or products that I do not personally believe in. So make sure you uh, patronize them. They are fantastic. Thanks again to Mark and Keanu. Uh, let's bring Jack Windsor onto the program. I wasn't planning this, but I got a note from Jack uh, a short while ago saying I'm free. He wasn't able to be with us on his regular Wednesday commentary segment due to some other obligations, but he said he's free for a few minutes today, and I said let's do this thing. Jack Windsor joining us now from the Ohio Press Network, and Jack, of course, never travels without his crowd of fans who uh, support him and follow him. And cheer for him, even at the most inopportune of times. Hey, Jack Windsor, how you doing, my friend? Bob, I'm super fantastic. It's great to be back in the saddle with you uh, and the listeners. Thanks for having me on today. Now, what is all of the background jostling and, and feedback? Is that the radio? Is the radio up? Uh, you should know about uh, You know what? Yeah, no, I don't have it on. I'm in my car. Is that... Uh, Hopefully that's no, you're better. you're you're okay. I just heard right before you started talking. I just heard the garbled uh, sound, and maybe it was a window down or something. But at any rate, we're okay now. So, Jack Windsor, uh, I appreciate you coming on, my friend. First of all, this is the first time I've talked to you on live radio since last Friday when you became an honest man and finally married the beautiful Whitney. So, congratulations to the two Daniel of you, Diggins! on your nuptials. It was a beautiful. It was a beautiful ceremony, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm so glad uh, that the two of you finally made it official. Well, it was an honor uh, to have you and uh, your beautiful bride there. Thank you for being with us. And, you know, the old football adage is, Bob, I outkicked my coverage with Whitney. <laughs> She's definitely a blessing, and, uh, man, she makes me a better man. And uh, I hope that I can edify her in any way that I can, but she's incredible. Well, she's a great person, and you guys are a great couple, so congratulations to you. So back to business now, Jack, that we do have you here for this. um, There's an article um, that's one of the lead stories right now on theohiopressnetwork.com, which, of course, we encourage everyone to subscribe to. That is Jack's publication um, about this passage or the potential passage of uh, the – or let's rephrase – we have to pass HJR1 first or have the House adopt uh, SJR2, which is, of course, to um, get a get an August special election to um, uh, raise the threshold to change the Ohio Constitution from 50% to 60%. So something happened yesterday, narrowly out of uh, the committee, uh, a 7-6 to six vote, we did get uh, a vote to send this to the House. Now it's in the ball is in Jason Stevens' courts court what can you tell us about that vote seven to six and then secondly what do you expect jason stevens to do with it yeah so the vote was along party lines uh with the exception of mr brett hillier state representative brett hillier uh republican from yorksville he sided with the democrats uh on not wanting to pass this thing out of committee just as he did back on january 3rd when he partnered with democrats to vote for Jason Stevens. Now, I sent Mr. Hillier a, a text message yesterday, and I'm on the road, so I can't pull it up and read it to you, or I would. But I said, hey, why did you vote against 
passing this resolution out of committee along with Democrats. And he said, look, I'm in favor of amending the Constitution so that it takes a higher threshold. What I'm not in favor of is ignoring the experts who have weighed in on this matter. So uh, now that's not verbatim, um, but that's kind of the gist of what that text message said to me. In the last, um, I'm curious, Jack, if you may, should, if I may, um, did, and I know you're driving so you can't look at it, but did he follow up on what experts he's referring to? Well, I, I would expect the experts to be uh, the citizens of the great state of Ohio. Apparently, there were some people in committee, and I can't remember the name of the gentleman. Uh, but, you know, listen, there were a lot of people uh, and people groups that weighed in on this. There was There's a ton of opposition to it, as you can imagine. Um, but, you know, I guess if I were to have a follow-up question with Mr. Hillier, I would say, okay, uh, touche, but I remember uh, a house built not so long ago that probably had the greatest amount of support I've ever seen uh, that had to do with medical freedom, but you really didn't give a rip about that. So it's a matter of really picking and choosing, and I think that's what it is. It, it's a red herring argument. Uh, I think that there probably are commitments that Mr. Hillier has that he's going to stay strong to, uh, you know, to the 11th hour and, and maybe that's die on it. that hill. I don't know. Yeah, that's the one right there. That's what I wanted to hear because I'm, I'm just perplexed by his statement that he supports raising the threshold, but he wants to listen to the to the experts on the issue. Well, wait a minute. What experts is he talking about? Is he talking about Alison Russo? Because that's who I think he's talking about. I think he's talking about the Democrats that he partnered with, along with the other 21 trans Dems, to give Jason Stevens the gavel and to get these plum committee assignments, and now it's payback time. The Democrats gave them what they wanted, and now they've got to pay them back, and this is one of those one of those ways. Allison Russo, by the way, was was quoted in this article. Together, she said, we will continue to fight extremist Republicans and special interest groups and do whatever it takes to preserve our right to decide what happens in our communities. House Democrats believe in the people's freedom to vote and the freedom to make private and safe reproductive health care decisions. We will never stop fighting to protect those freedoms and all other fundamental freedoms because it's what Ohioans believe in, too, end quote. So it sounds to me like Brad, Brad Hillier said, that's the expert I'm deferring to. It sure does, doesn't it? And it's really intriguing to me that when you have someone like Alison Russo, who now wants the government out of people's medical business, but when it came to masks and vaccines, she wanted the, the government all up in your business. And so it's like, pick a side. You know, well, no, you can't, you can't argue with somebody who does not operate from principle. Uh, uh, well, that's not true. The principle is uh, promulgate power and, and privilege. And so, you know, whatever, whatever side that is, uh, that's the side that Alison Russo is going to be on. Obviously, I'm editorializing here. Um, but it's a little bit crazy to me uh, to, to talk about this as if it's reproductive health. There's no reproduction going on. It, they're, they're killing children up until uh, birth, essentially, if this, uh, if this amendment right. passes. And, by the way, the other thing that they're going to do is they're going to ignore some of the medical best practices involved in abortions if this broad language passes. And the scarier part, Bob, uh, as both of us being dads, it's going to allow, essentially, or open the door for um, influencers, nefarious influencers, to allow our kids to begin socially and medically transitioning to a gender that's unnatural uh, to them without parental consent and without parental involvement. Uh, right. There's there's really nothing radical about opposing that. It's crazy to me that people who are logical, that follow science, that are reasonable, that believe in truth, are now the counterculture, and they're called extremists. 
Yeah, that's exactly what he called them, and this is exactly what uh, Ellison Rousseau called them. So he's a trans-dem. He is a Republican, but he acts and dresses and, and behaves like a Democrat. That makes him one of the trans-dems. We're not going to get him. We need to get some, though. So tell me, uh, what do you think happens here? Will Jason Stevens allow this go to a floor vote? And if not, now that it has come out of committee, if he does not allow that, obviously the fallback is um, uh, the discharge petition. That is still languishing, I understand, at about 30 signatures and 50 are needed. So so what, what do you think is going to happen, Jack? i got about two minutes for you. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my understanding is that uh, Jason Stevens said, look, if you can get me 60 votes, we'll, we'll take this to, to vote uh, on the floor. Well, uh, as of last night, sources tell me they have the 60 votes. So now all eyes, all attention, all political pressure is on Jason Stevens. So Jason Stevens, here you are. What are you going to do? And I made a post last night. I said, look, there was either a deal or there wasn't a deal. If you remember that article we wrote, Bipartisanship or Betrayal, we said, look, yeah. one of the deals that allegedly was made was that he was going to slow roll this, sit on this. Well, hey, guess what? Um, you have the opportunity to do this now. So I think if he does not bring this to vote, I think Jason Stevens' political career in Ohio is essentially over. Um, but I would think that there is a certain amount of pressure that will be put on him from all sources that would uh, probably bring it to a vote. And if he doesn't, if he does that, I'm sure Allison Russo will go scorched earth. So that'll be interesting, too. It really will be. Uh, but this is, you know, again, we warned people before January 3rd. We warned people as this whole thing played out on January 3rd. People like you in print and on the air and on our podcast, which, by the way, has been on hiatus for a couple of weeks while you tended to the small matter of, you know, getting married. But we will start, <laughs> uh, we will start new episodes of uh, Talking Smack with Bob and Jack starting next week. So make sure you are tuned in here and uh, uh, make sure you read the Ohio Press Network so you can find out when those things are dropping. Jack Windsor, I'm glad you were able to check in for just a few minutes, my friend. This is extraordinarily important. If there's any movement on this over the weekend, early part of next week, obviously you and I will talk about it then. Thank you, Jack. We appreciate you. Be blessed. See ya. There you go. We are blessed. Absolutely. No question about that. Yeah, that, there's no doubt in my mind that people like Brett Hillier, they're dyed in the wool now Democrats. You know, they're trans Democrats. They're waiting for the surgery. That's it. They're Republicans who are truly becoming Democrats. There's no question about it. Uh, and uh, let's sadly uh, understand and come to the realization he's not going to be the only one. The question is, is can we flip enough of the trans Dems back to the original Republican Party for which or uh, to which they were left from which Republican voters got to get the... Uh, the preposition right there, from which they were elected by Republican voters to do a certain job and um, get them to at least on this issue, get us to that special election in August so we can make it harder for them to change the Constitution to kill more kids starting in November. All right, thanks to my guest, Jim Jordan. Thanks to uh, Donovan O'Neill. Thanks to Jeremiah Sawyer. Thanks to Jack Windsor. Thanks to my team, Johnny and Marianne and Marcy. And thanks to you for listening. Hope you have a great weekend in store. Be well, be safe, stay free. We'll see you Monday. Bye-bye. Let's go, Brandon. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn. 
With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.